Hi there, listener. I'm Nina, and you're listening to Bullshare's co-creation sessions, your resource for all things brand advocacy, current trends, and customer insights. At the co-creation sessions, we're keeping our finger on the pulse of consumer behavior and delivering those insights straight into your ears. So stay tuned for another great session. Today's podcast is all about women in STEM and the lessons in how brands and businesses can empower female voices and diversify the workforce. We're seeing major milestones achieved within this sector and we've come an incredibly long way. However, there are major achievements still to come and our work as women is not yet done. In tech, we're outnumbered three to one. And according to PwC, 5% of senior leadership positions in the technology sector are held by women. Interestingly, or sadly, only 7% of the developer workforce is female. And in engineering, though female engineers have almost doubled across the last decade, they still only make up 10% of the workforce. That means 90% of engineers are male. And when we look at higher education, such as PhDs, this gap just continues to widen. It's gaping. 11% of STEM professors are women. And according to Mary Ann Seacart's The Authority Gap, a female applicant is 30% less likely to be called for a job interview than an equally qualified man. And the odds of recommending a woman for a job are 38% lower if it requires serious intelligence. So we've introduced the topic with some quite sobering statistics. So let's introduce the guest speakers. We've got a huge panel today of very gifted women working across all different sectors within STEM. So firstly, Helen, would you like to introduce yourself and your involvement in today's conversation as well? Uh, Yes, thank you, Nina. Um, I'm Helen. I'm a training junior developer at Bumble at the moment. I'm part of um, the first cohort of Bumble Tech Academy, which I'll tell you all about, um, I'm sure at some point during this webinar. Um, and my interest comes from tech being a career change for me. And that was really important as a woman, the opportunities that are available. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. And Jackie, would you please introduce yourself too? Yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackie Johnson. I currently run my own consulting firm, but my background is in airport engineering and airport development. Um, Straight out of university, I did a master's um, in that. And I've been in a really in an environment that's been very male dominated my whole career, um, which is construction engineering, mainly airports. Yeah, I'm keen to be here today. Thank you for including me. I just think it's all about being role models and grabbing those opportunities really to sort of say that we're here, we're female, we're doing these roles and, and you can too to the next generation. So very excited. Thank you. Amazing. Thanks so much for joining us, Jackie. And I think we have Claire as well today. Claire, would you like to introduce yourself to? Yeah, Claire, aka Nina. I am um, <laughs> joined on the wrong link, sorry. Um, so my name's Claire Cassidy. I'm lead architect for NHS England. Um, I started my journey about 30 years ago in IT and I was um, an engineer, um, female engineer, probably the first in several companies I work for. Um, I started out in the industry in 1990 as a trainee network analyst. And then I worked my way up and I ended up working for Cisco as a systems engineer for several years, traveled all over the world, installing and designing network um, systems. And usually I got the uh, the shock of a, a lady engineer turning up or a wow in astonishment. Um, I had a little, not didn't really have a career break. I had a career change um, when I had my three children and I went into the NHS um, and I've worked at trust level, then regional level. And I 
I've got a job, um, new job actually, several months for um, NHS England. So I'm now in the national team as an architect. So I'm looking at all the interoperability um, and the national systems to develop them going forward. And I'm the only female architect in my team actually. Oh, wow. Okay, amazing. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks for joining us as well. And, and Neona, would you please introduce yourself and say about your interest in this too? Hi everyone, my name is Neona. Um, so I'm a newly qualified optometrist um, and this is a career I've wanted to do for a long, long time. And as a woman, I think it's really nice to have that representation um, in my field. I find that when I'm testing women, it's nice to be able to relate on things that you might not with a man. Um, so I love seeing diversity when it comes to medical careers because I think that is so incredibly important. Absolutely, thank you. And Kira, uh, would you be so kind to introduce yourself as well? Hi, I'm Kira. I work at a company called Prenetics, which is in the healthcare tech space. Um, it's actually a startup that's grown incredibly quickly, mainly due to COVID testing. Um, so it's been an interesting journey kind of joining a very small team where we didn't really have to define um, diversity and focus on that too much of an issue like as being kind of an issue because it was so small to growing to what is now kind of a 600 people strong company in the space of about two years um, and just on that journey of trying to figure out kind of what that looks like and how we can create a women's network and it's it's yeah it's a really interesting kind of stage in um, that journey for me and for the company so um, something I care a huge amount about um, and yeah kind of hoping to learn stuff myself on this seminar for sure. Brilliant thank you so much and finally we have Theo our co-host from Bulbshare. Theo would you like to say hello? Thanks Nina um, yeah as Nina mentioned I'm Theo I also work at Bulbshare as a project manager. Um, I have a degree in physics and a master's in nanotechnology and regenerative medicine so it's safe to say that this topic is relevant for me. Uh, throughout my whole academic life and now working in tech um, at Bolshare. Um, super excited to be here with all you lovely ladies and um, part, being part of the discussion. Thank you. So back over to Nina. Sure. So, yeah, we asked our female UK community members if they've ever considered a career in STEM. And uh, we asked them uh, what it means to be a woman in the workplace today as well. So 73% had never considered a career in tech and for 75% a career in maths had never even crossed their mind. Not a single woman said engineering was her ultimate dream first choice career path either, which is really disappointing actually. Um, so contrastingly, one in three had considered a creative career when we gave them a list of options. And when asked if they had to choose between a STEM career and a creative industry career, 72% opted for the latter. And the problem deepens. Uh, men are given more opportunities to work in STEM, say 63% of the community. And the majority feel there are more barriers to entry for women. Uh, and crucially, 61% think it is harder to be a woman in STEM, which is reflected in what our community said qualitatively as well. Annika, a 34 year old, told us that people don't take her seriously in work or try and quash her ambition. Sophie, a 25 year old, said STEM is a male dominated field, which makes it harder for women to get a foot in the door, but also because women aren't encouraged to adopt these subjects in the first place. So, yeah. Oh, Theo, I think you're on mute. Sorry. <laughs> Um, while our webinar today is focused on STEM as a more problematic area, we found out from the community that it isn't actually just STEM. So 61% generally feel it's challenging to be a woman in their field. 
and um, half work in what they described as a male-dominated environment. If we look into this a bit further, we'll see that there are positives and negatives experienced by the community that speak to the milestones that have been achieved, but the lengths that we still need to go. Um, on the one hand, 35% felt their treatment from male colleagues could be better. 61% said they are treated only somewhat fairly at work. 64% um, said workplace discrimination is still problematic and 70% feel the pay gap is still an issue. However, on a more positive note, 82% um, feel their organisation does support them as women. Yeah, so I think we start at the beginning of this topic. Is it harder to be a woman in the workplace? Is it even harder when it uh, comes to STEM? And why? What are the barriers making this so difficult? Um, Helen, do you want to kick off this one? Um, it's interesting because you've just given us a statistic which I I really um, feel strongly about, which is the 61% think it's harder to be a woman in STEM. Um, I actually come from a background of a school which encouraged engineering in women, but although the encouragement was there, the opportunities were not there. Because I was going to the engineering firms and seeing men all around me, I was 16. In the British system, you're 16 when you make your career choices, your education choices. So it's interesting because although we have opportunities, some opportunities, the fact that they're so targeted at women sometimes when you're 16 makes it even more nerve wracking to accept that opportunity. Because you think to yourself, hey, if I want to be a woman in STEM, I've got to be exceptional. Men don't have to be exceptional to get into STEM, but women have to be exceptional to win these places, to be parts of these programs, for example. So for me, that is the biggest discouraging factor of entering the STEM workplace, seeing the men around you and thinking, in order for me to succeed, I have to be incredible. Yeah, I think it's a fine line as well between um, the feeling that sometimes you might be seen as like the token woman in that room. And um, a friend of mine actually works in property, which does suffer similar kind of um, and specifically property insurance, which is like two very male dominated uh, arenas kind of in one job. And they have a rule where they have to have a woman in the room in, at any meeting. And the intention behind it was probably good, but as the only woman in her team, she got brought into very senior meetings, which then caused resentment from colleagues, but she was also fantastic at her job. So she felt a bit frustrated that she was seen as the token woman, despite her probably actually being the best person for the role anyway. And it's a really fine line where people are trying to come up with these solutions to kind of move things forward. But then sometimes it feels like to you that, yeah, that actually you're, you're getting something just because of your gender and is that a bad thing I don't know I can't really figure out how I feel about it mm. yeah yeah I think it should be as a woman I'm nearly 50 and so this sort of looking back over the years I've definitely seen huge improvements but I still think I would want to be valued because I'm good at what I do not because I'm female and I, I think most of my count most of my colleagues would prob probably feel the same way that you 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 want to be valued because you've got exactly the same or you know, you bring something to the table, basically. But I think what gets missed is the fact that if you're talking 
about a board or a leadership team, actually what you bring to it is, yes, you've got the credentials, you've been to the same university, you've got the degree, et cetera, et cetera, but you also bring a different perspective to that room and that's really valuable, that's really needed. You, you, you can't have a, a good decision-making room if you haven't got lots of different voices, lots of ideas, lots of perspectives in that room. That's about inclusion. So it is about women, but it's a lot about a whole lot more than that. We you know, can talk about everything, but yeah, I, I think it is... We want to be put in those roles because we are going to bring value and we can do it and we're good at what we do rather than so, want to tick off a number. There was a McKinsey um, study. Oh, uh, sorry, there's feedback coming from somewhere. Uh, there's a McKinsey study um, that uh, the boards that were, the more gender diverse boards were 21% more likely to be profitable than those that weren't. Like it just proves exactly what Jackie was saying, that benefits it's not just about ticking a box it's genuinely the benefits of having a diverse workforce are huge and that difference of opinions and backgrounds and knowledge and like everything is is a good thing for a company it's not just like let's get women in it's actually like so much more than that um uh, yeah I, I thought that was particularly interesting well, I'd like to just pick up what Helen said before about having no problems at school. I recently went to a conference and it was a strategical um, women in IT um, public sector healthcare conference. And um, it was discussed about schools and there's some schools are still actually categorizing boys jobs and girls jobs. Now, I think I was lucky I went to an all girls school and I never had that at all. So I'd never had any barriers at all put around me of what I could or couldn't do. So I actually was interested in going into an IT career um, when I was young because I was really good at computers at school. I am 50 now, by the way. So that was a long time ago. Um, and, you know, we're talking to another couple of women at the conference who have had successful and technical careers they also went to all girls schools now I don't know if it's just a stigma about you know if you if you do go to a mixed school the boys have to go to the the tech and the engineering lessons the girl have to go to cookery classes um my I've got three daughters and why I'm so interested in this is because I want them to have a clear pathway um you know when when we see so many um issues in the workplace of, of um, the barriers being put up so my one of my oldest daughters wants to be a vet and all the way through everyone's encouraged her at her school so I don't know if the barriers are actually taught in into no. the children you know so, that's, that, so, so that's, that's something maybe to, to discuss because some of these women in in the conference thought that it was mm. as an I think when you're at school and I don't know if it's the same for all the different generations but I never felt that anyone said because I'm female I can't study something I don't think that ever came across and I you had no sort of limitations to what you could choose no. the problem was I never saw women doing those jobs I didn't and I didn't know some of those jobs existed and that's one of the biggest things in construction and engineering in particular mm -hmm. young girls at 16 like you're saying some, I think Helen was saying being 16 and that's when you make your choices you don't you not everybody sees all those different things chemical engineers male or female so I just don't think we're getting our careers advice yeah. right yeah. at school yeah. and I think yeah. that is one of the biggest things that I've got daughters yeah. too and I'm really yeah. keen to make sure they see these different, different jobs they could do you know but I don't think there's any barrier to what you study I, I, I don't think anybody's experienced well I'm, I'm speaking of yeah. <laughs> I know but yeah I'm, I've not heard of that uh, no, I think from a healthcare perspective, quite in interestingly, um, so the path I've taken, optometry, is quite female dominated, or at least there's an, an equal spread there. But 
um, going through my process of qualification, I was always told by men, oh, it's a great job um, for women because it's quite flexible as a mother and that sort of thing, which is great, but also why does that limit me in going to another medical field? What if I want to be a surgeon or something? Is that something that I shouldn't do because I want to be a mother as well? So I think, you know, as you grow older and you experience different things, I think sometimes you feel ushered almost into certain career paths just because well I need to think about myself for the future so I think we should open that conversation and think why why should that be definitely and I mean that leads us on really nicely to our next sort of section of conversation so what are the causes of these problems we've mentioned education and got some mixed opinions on that really so how far do we need to look back to understand why women don't feel welcomed with open arms into these subjects well our community say it starts at the beginning, um, sort of before we even enter the world, there's predetermined ideas about what we might become and who we, what we might achieve. Um, then we get to education. So I can remember at school not so long ago, um, how classes such as further maths were almost entirely male with a few female exceptions. And Theo, I know you were uh, telling me about your physics degree as well and uh, the sort of gender split there as well. Um, but According to PwC, only 27% of female school students say they would consider a career in technology compared to 61% of males. So we're already seeing this at uh, this problem at an early age during education. And our community corroborated this. 59% agreed that educational environments such as schools and universities are not doing enough to encourage uh, girls to learn STEM subjects, which is really interesting based on the conversation we've been having and all our different experiences with that. Um, in fact, 74% said young girls are pushed towards careers that are traditionally feminine, uh, be it by parents, teachers or other influences. And interestingly, it's been worsened, as most things have, by COVID. 60% of female STEM students have had career prospects negatively affected by the pandemic. So why is this uh, gender gap so wide? What are the causes? We've had a couple of ideas, um, but yeah. Neona, what do you think? I definitely think there are multiple, multiple factors that feed into this. Um, like I said before, it's, you know, decisions you make as you grow up. Do I want to have children? If so, can I work somewhere, um, you know, that is more male dominated? Are they going to understand the commitments I have to my family? Um, also very traditional points of views that people may have that women should be um, at home, women should be the ones that raise a family almost, which I just think is so archaic in a way. Um, families can now be both male and female dominated and I think that's how we, we should be moving forward. Um, and yeah, I think also just if you I think we might be losing the I think oh sorry oh, you hear me if you look into a male dominated workplace it may be quite daunting so in a way there's you might have the drive to bring more females into that workplace but also it's do I want to be the only woman there um if there aren't any other women there can I do that is it really something that is more for men so yeah just multiple factors that feed into that yeah I think um I can't remember who was saying it earlier, I think it might have been Kira um, or Helen as well about this sort of idea of this big boots to fill if you're the only woman in the room, you've got to really prove yourself and prove why you're there, um, which is, yeah, it's a lot of pressure um, to be added onto the daily pressures of any work. Um, so yeah, it is, it's a blend, I suppose, of 
attitudes, education, everything. Um, so I'm just going to hand over to Theo and we're going to talk about one of the potential reasons, which is role models. Yeah, thanks, Nina. So I think we've we definitely touched on this a little bit in terms of um, looking at, you know, young women looking up to people and, and what are the role models and who can they see? Um, so let's just start talking about the causes um, of, of female hesitancy and what specific role do role models play? Well, if we look at some stats, 48% could name a man working or who is historically famous for working in the STEM industry. So we've all heard of Mark Zuckerberg, Albert Einstein, Steve Jobs, Stephen Hawking, Isaac Newton, the list goes on. But 73% couldn't name a woman working in, the, in science. 87% couldn't name a woman working in maths and 80% couldn't name a woman in tech. Um, in fact, 74% said there are fewer female role models to be inspired by. This matters because role models represent and expand what's possible. They provide motivation um, and also give real life examples of how we can reach those heights. Um, so let's change this lack of knowledge around role models and only do we have some amazing examples on the panel today. We're also going to look at some other examples of women pioneering in this space, both currently and in history. Um, and of course, to anyone on the panel, please take the opportunity to shed light on someone you believe could be an inspiration. Yeah, thank you, Theo. So firstly, look at, let's look at someone in tech. Uh, Kimberly Bryant, CEO of Black Girls Code, is introducing women of colour to technology and computer science. And as we saw from the stats earlier about how few women proportionally are working in coding and developing, this is a true service to women. But it's also important because her work is empowering black women and 53% of the Bulbshire Insights community think it's harder to be a woman of colour in the workplace. Everyone has to climb the ladder of success, but for some people, there are a few more rungs to climb. Um, and um, in fact, 66.2% of students enrolled onto STEM related subjects at UK universities are black women. So, yeah, Kimberly Bryant is an amazing inspiration. Um, next, we've got Rushi Sangvi, who created the newsfeed for Facebook, something we all interact with daily, I'm sure. Obviously, we all hear about Zuckerberg, but perhaps an unsung hero of social media is Rushi. Um, as for maths, Rachel Riley, best known for her mathematical abilities on TV shows such as Countdown, uh, but lesser known for the work she does speaking to young girls about the joy of applied maths, quantum mechanics, and time travel uh, to encourage more women into STEM. And there's many many more of course so a question for the panel um is there a dearth of female role models and is this an issue of exposure that there are role models but we're just not exposed to them or is it perhaps there's this sort of hidden history of female scientists and mathematicians whose work has been buried appropriated or attributed to someone else perhaps Theo perhaps what do you think yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here. So I think like we've established that, yes, you look at your standard engineering firm and you will not see very many women in um, especially senior leadership roles. So I think um, in terms of and like like you said, in terms the statistics speak for themselves. I mean, a lot of people can name um, male physicists, but even embarrassingly myself, when I try and think as a physicist and a female scientist, you know, famous historical female scientists, the only one when I even when I googled it and looked at a list was like Marie Curie. I mean, everyone else, I, I genuinely that they were not um, someone that I'd, I'd knew about. So I think um, there's a lot of reasons for this. Um, historically, women were not 
working, they were looking after children. So even though, um, again, doing a bit of research, you know, young women may have seen shown a flair for mathematics or engineering or computing, as soon as they hit childbearing age, they were no longer moving forward and therefore discovering any of our amazing inventions and discoveries that we know about today. And I think historically, you know, looking back hundreds of years, we will always see the laws of physics being written and published by a man. That's never going to change. But how can we look at the world currently and move this forward? Um, and I think when I think of role models, I don't think of famous historical scientists, but I think of the people that I'm around when I grow up. So um, parents, teachers is a huge one. I mean, education shapes the careers and um, the lives of, of so many young people. So can I, is this stuff that we can change in school and at a young level that can change the game? And I think, again, even only 10 years ago when I was at school, um, studying physics A-level, all of my physics teachers were male. Um, when I then went on to uni, a vast majority were male. All my mentors who I um, had like personal personal tutors, they were called, who, who I could go to, were all male. So um, it's it, I think it's about closing that gap of, of current role models. And that mm. is what could be powerful moving forward. I, I agree with you, Theo. Um, I was actually going to say before you said about the local, you know, why do we have to have famous role models? Why can't they be local? So my my middle daughter wants to be a coder and she's done some coding courses. So in a way, I'm her role model for what she can achieve and what she can do. Um, one of the things I was um, tasked with um, a couple of years ago by a similar group, actually, was go back into your local school. Obviously, there's some inspirational people on the call, very inspirational women. Um, so I knocked on the door of my old high school to say, you know, I'll come and do a talk on what is possible, you know, with a career, what is possible for girls in engineering and in, in IT. And, you know, I've done a couple of speeches at the school already and, and the local colleges. So, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's an action for us to take away with us that we can go and, you know, educate, um, you know, educate the people around us and you all be their role models. So I, I did a webinar on Wednesday, it was pre-recorded, but one of the things I said on that was I really do feel it's my responsibility now, my job, if you like, to do exactly that, Claire, to sort of go into school. And I did some of this during lockdown, we did some online things where you could grab that chance to get eight or nine women, you know, as a chemical engineer and a civil engineer and me and an architect, and we were all on the screen talking into yeah. schools and doing exactly yeah. that. But we're all doing it voluntarily and it's all slightly, you know, but it's really yeah. important that we do that, particularly now at this yeah. point, I think, in our career. Yeah. And we are showing them that this is that these yeah. are normal. This is possible with absolutely for at, you. It is end, changing. At, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I teach my children and you know, the people around me, we're all equal. Male and females are equal. And you know, it's at the end of the day, if we're if we're able to do a job, we love a job, if we're passionate about a job, then we're as good as everybody else. So, you know, there's no difference at all, in my opinion, of what we what we can achieve and what we can do. And we need to send that message out there and push it forward. Yeah. Talk about this role model thing though. One of the things I noticed over my career is when I sort of colleagues and role models I had started to have families and they would go away from the workplace and a lot of them and it may just be my experience but a lot of them didn't return um and so you lose a lot of fantastic strong brilliant women you know be to have because they go away to have families and for whatever they reason they choose themselves they don't come back to the workplace or they didn't 
I think that's changing. I don't yeah, think, yeah. I'm sure that will still happen for some because everybody yeah. wants to make their I, own decision. I, I, I was lucky because I, I changed direction in my career. I needed, I was traveling all over the place and after baby number two, mother half was in the military, I had to choose. And I actually didn't think I would stay technical. I thought it was very difficult and the barriers put up by the company I was actually working for at the time. So I went, I went contracting, went part-time and I chose what hours I wanted to do. Um, and I still, still stay technical. And by chance I got into the NHS, which gave me the opportunity because it's so vast and you know it's massive. I was able to choose the, the next direction. So my, my career was on a sort of a back burner until the girls went to school and was able to go back properly. And then it, it took off again and I went in another direction. So maybe you need to sort of choose carefully how you, how you return just to make sure that suits you. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, that's a really interesting segue, actually, because the next question I did want to ask was around motherhood. So this mm. relationship between labour and labour work and motherhood. So 60% of our community think juggling children and work is a challenge, with 80% saying that challenge is a burden left more to mothers than fathers. And sadly, 73% said that having a child could negatively impact their career journey, with 34% saying they'd witnessed workplace discrimination around maternity leave and motherhood. And of course, it's not just the role of child rearing. It's what um, feminist theory has called unpaid emotional labour that women take on as well. So Rose Hackman writes for The Guardian that from remembering birthdays to offering service with a smile, life has a layer of daily responsibility that is hardly discussed, one which falls disproportionately on women. Finally confronting it could be a revolutionary step. You know, we've all heard stereotypes about women's multitasking abilities, but perhaps there's something to be said about all the roles women have to juggle throughout their life, all the identities they have to enact, uh, whether that's in careers, in fa the family as well. Um, however, there is perhaps another consideration here as well. I talked to Claire on the phone before this webinar and she told me about the brilliant daughters she's raising, the strong, intelligent, determined daughters who are all interested in studying STEM, as you said. And um, whilst child rearing has disproportionately been something women have the pressure to sustain while working it's also a key to unlock a new generation of leaders it's an opportunity to be that role model isn't it mm. um so yeah is this sort of balance between motherhood and career success something we've reached a point of it respecting or are we still facing challenges and discrimination as working mothers um kira i think you were interested in talking about this one yeah, it's a I, really interesting topic. I something like I've always cared about, but um, like I said, we're a startup effectively, but a fast growing one. And we're at the kind of point where we're deciding our HR policies, and our benefits. And um, I, you know, spoke to our head of HR, who was very much like, oh, don't worry, we're looking at our maternity leave, blah, blah, blah. And for me, a huge thing is what about paternity leave? Like, I really think until we start seeing childcare as a dual <laughs> responsibility. How on earth can we see that kind of reflected at work? And I, I totally understand the kind of physical and mental like recovery that needs to happen to a mother after giving birth. But there are amazing studies that prove um, things like mother's intuition about hearing babies cry. Um, it's been proven that if fathers can have, I think it's like two, like three weeks as the sole carer of a child that their brains can rewire to hear and recognize those same things that people just attribute to be like a mother's skill and Sheryl Sandberg said and I'm madly obsessed with her um she doesn't think true equality will be achieved until at least 
50% of women are leaders in the workplace and 50% of men are leaders at home. And I just think like, so paternity leave for me is such a huge thing in kind of considering, you know, I think we're getting much closer to mothers working for sure. And I think like the economic climate has something to play in that, in that people just can't afford to stay home maybe as much as they used to be able to. But also, um, I just think like, sorry, there's some background noise going on. Um, uh, that what hasn't improved anywhere near the same amount is the attitudes towards fathers staying at home. And that for me now is kind of the bit that my, I'm zooming in on, you know, the attitude of someone, a father like pushing their child on the swing or changing like, what an amazing dad. It's like, oh, for God's sake, like this should be a joint responsibility. So that's a battleground for me now, like personally, mm. and like that kind of learning curve I've been on. Um, yeah. And I think I saw something recently that went around on social media that did um, a picture of a man bringing home a takeaway for his children. And everyone said, oh, what a fun dad. And they did the same with a woman doing it. And they said, oh, well, it's a lazy mum. So it's interesting that you bring up that sort of contrast and attitudes towards parenting and what role uh, the mother and the father can play whilst being busy at work as well. Yeah. And Jackie, I think you wanted to say something on this as well. Yeah, I was going to talk about the whole sort of balance thing, which I always thought was a little bit of a joke really over the years because I had two daughters and um, they're six, 16 and 13 now, but I never sort of really found what one, one used to call work-life balance. I, don't, I just don't think that exists. And I feel it gives a false sense of pr almost pressure to women. You're going to find your work-life balance. And I want to almost reach out to younger women and say, <laughs> oh, I don't know if that's possible. Um, but also, I think the other thing is that people are all different. And, and the one thing I've learned working with women and seeing women come and go in the workplace over the years, you know, some women want to stay home and be at home and, and, and almost relish that time and, and, and to take a career break, fantastic. And I think it needs to be personal choice. And you make a really good point here, that's male and female. And I think I am seeing that change. I'm seeing colleagues of mine that I work with, men who are having babies now with their wives and they're taking time off. Well, that didn't exist for my husband and I when we had our kids, but they're getting that through their companies. They're celebrating it on LinkedIn, which I think is powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd love to see more of that where it's seen as the norm if that's what that family chooses. And this is all about that whole, every family should be able to choose what they want. I mean, I, I got very, um, I think I was judged, you know, yeah, I worked a lot when my kids were little and, and people have a view on that, um, whether that's good or bad. Um, but I think it's just that culture where we allow people to make their choice that suits their family. And I think there needs to be more, more done on that. But I agree with Kara, more men taking, I'm seeing more of it taking their load, if you want to call it that, is really vital to success. Yeah. I think it's a, it kind of links back to the role models question kind of and my manager is male and he's incredibly family orientated he cannot be contacted between four and seven that's like kids like dinner time bath time and for me that is a role model I know he's not female but it's a huge role model and like a super senior man prioritizing his family every single day and I that's just huge to me and I it makes me feel very comfortable and like want to work here because I know like one day when I have a family that's expected and that's accepted and like promoted I like that's huge and um, so um the other thing I kind of was intrigued about just um what others think is like how COVID's impacted yeah. like maybe in a positive way having families and making it kind of especially for some industries like much more acceptable to work from home and 
yeah provide in some ways a good balance maybe in some ways like a bit too much um yeah accessibility to work but yeah Kind of I think thing. just culturally what COVID did was for whatever reason I think the majority of people I knew it was the women that took on the homeschooling that might just be the men being really clever and going <laughs> no thanks um but it did seem to be mainly you know and that did have an impact on a lot of I think female careers in that time that they they were they were burdened if you like with homeschool as well as trying to keep their career going online but the other thing the positive side of COVID positive sign of covid was that um we're now in that we're out of that old habit of assuming that it's proximity means you're part of the meeting i think they call it proximity bias now now actually you can be just as constructive and just as con contribute just as much by being part of a meeting like this now that's powerful for women and men that want to spend time with families that that's huge and that's the one positive thing that perhaps came out the back of the pandemic was working online working re remotely is norm yeah i think i think there's also some some issues with um, the large corporates as well um you know when when i was my job was a bit different because i was traveling every day all over the place and I remember, because I love my job and I still do, um, depending on what job I was doing. Um, I was bit, I was on site my first pregnancy and I didn't want to stop working until baby was born. And I was actually on site at 40 weeks pregnant and I was doing a big install at um, Stafford University. And I was only, I was only programming stuff, I was on Cisco. And she said to me, don't come back tomorrow, Claire. Um, I don't want to mess on the computer room floor. Um, but my manager was brilliant because I'd worked there for so many years. Um, I was sort of looked after in the first year, the first couple of years. I was only allowed to do jobs um, where I travelled a short distance and come back at only a couple of days a week. So I think you're also in, it, 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 you have to look at the environment you're in, whether you've got the right support, whether you've got the right manager. Now, after a couple of years, I had number two baby. I was still looked after and he left or he left and got a new manager who completely didn't get it he didn't understand it so I don't think it's just the corporate yes but it's the individuals that you're working for whether they understand you or not and you know what your value is and in the end because he did cause lots of problems um I, I ended up leaving and that's when I went contracting and um, but to be honest with you that was probably the best thing ever because I then took control and I had to take control um but you know when you when you have children you, I love my job I love my children yeah you, you do have to Jackie do try and work out the, the work-life balance and it is really difficult you know and all the time you've got you, you're still like this constantly with the with the balance of, of what you do and what you don't do so yeah that's what I mean there was no there was no balance it was like a constant no. pendulum yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we've, we've discussed some of the, the challenges, but what about our hopes for the future? What are the long-term goals when it comes to women in STEM? What are we trying to achieve? I think, um, Jackie, you were interested in this one. I was only going to say on this one and let other people talk, but um, <laughs> it's really important for me that yeah. the future is that we've got women in, de in decision-making roles. And, and I'm not talking, oh, like you were saying earlier, Cara, about a couple on the board, you know, just a balancing. No, we've got... 40, 50, 60% women to men on board so that the decision-making in, in um, it could be companies, it could be exec boards, it doesn't matter, but these boards need to be balanced and they need to be balanced to get a good mix of thoughts and ideas. We've said it already before, but for me, that's the goal for the future is, is that it's, it's about the, the amazing women that are now in these roles are, are rising up to find the opportunities to lead um, and everything's balanced enough for them to be able to carry on and do that, you know, not have to leave the workplace. Yeah, I think, um, uh, sorry, I feel like, yeah, I keep speaking. Um, I feel, 
think as well again for me like my kind of journey with this is before it was very much like you know women are the same they can do the same thing and the thing I'm kind of leaning towards now is like actually we are completely different and that's fine <laughs> it's a good thing to be different and in healthcare it's particularly interesting like how male bias it's been historically is just crazy it's like women are 70% more likely to develop depression in their lifetime yet um, nearly every study has been done on men or like male animals um, yeah so the drugs just aren't you know there's a whole book about it but um it's just a very male biased industry and actually what the point is is we're not the same and that needs to be recognized and um yeah that's uh sorry I've now lost my train of thought but yeah that was kind of uh the bit I've been kind of growing so women there was a Gallup survey like it's taken over 30 years and it was just overwhelming showing that women and I'm don't say every single woman but women tend to make better managers they tend to be more empathetic they tend to be more inclusive um and sometimes when I'm having these conversations with male colleagues or male friends there's a like immediate pushback like you can't just say women are better managers and it's that's not the point not what I'm saying but actually actually there are differences that like just mean that yeah sometimes there are certain roles or um yeah for managers for example that do make women better and uh yeah so that's been something I've kind of been coming yeah not to terms with that sounds like a bad phrase but yeah just kind of, there's power I, in difference yeah I also Sorry. think um I agree with everything you said about the long-term goals for having women in positions of management for example but I also worry sometimes that when people do focus on the long term we're talking about putting people in now and waiting for them to get to the top. It's also the people who are in position of power now who have the responsibility of empowering women now and who already can make decisions. It's great to aim for the long term, but also in the short term, we have people who have uh, the ability to make change and the ability to take decisions that empower us. And that's also important instead of letting, I guess, these people slip through the nets of being okay in the future we'll have uh, a female board and that will sort everything out no we need to start thinking about now cultural change everything that's going on now within the existing structures that we already have yeah got to we've got to be impatient about this haven't we because it affects our careers it affects our own lives as well and the lives of uh, all women in this industry uh, we're now going to look at some of the brands and businesses that are changing this narrative um, of a career pipeline that is leaking women uh, so from training to grants to education there are many ways that businesses can help women in stem so leads really nicely on from what helen was just saying there um, so firstly i want to highlight pwc they say that females aren't considering technology careers as no one is putting it forward as an option to them and what was really interesting to me is that they claim that technology organizations need to highlight how technology is a force for good if they want to attract more females to the sector because half of females say that feeling like the work they do makes the world a better place is the most important factor when deciding their future career so again it kind of speaks to what Kira was saying it's, it's recognizing those differences and catering for them and using that to attract women into the sector so hence they are working via a range of programs with the ambition of improving the health and wealth of societies through empowering women and girls. Um, next we have Boeing, I think Theo is going to look at this one. 
Yeah, so uh, Boeing rightly says that the underrepresentation of girls and women in STEM fields is a global challenge. And to tackle this, they're building a global STEM talent pipeline, developing early career talent through internships and professional development opportunities. Um, it invests in young women in STEM, as inspiring an estimated 2.7 million young women and girls con and contributing $51 billion through grants. Yeah, this is huge, but they are a huge global company. So I think, you know, great that they're doing it definitely so i've seen grants but also back to that issue of role models that we we're talking about earlier um panasonic created awareness for female role models via their you inspire me campaign encouraging women to celebrate a female figure in their lives and what's interesting is it was a lot of the time when you ask women to talk about um who's inspiring them people will say their mother so it sort of relates to our earlier conversations on that uh, the sort of the local role model um and to help address the underrepresentation of women in leadership roles they also host an employee run group called women connect again it's that sort of local role model getting people get, getting women in touch with other women in the company that they can be inspired by um next theo yep so boringer ingelheim um is a research-driven pharmaceuticals company and they ask when you think of a scientist do you think of a man or a woman um now few might not admit it when you when we're talking about it in a forum like this but many minds still jump to men um, and I actually read a really interesting statistic about this. So this is apparently like um, a study or a experiment and um, it's asking people draw a scientist and apparently 50 or 60 years ago, something like if you ask 5,000 people to draw a scientist, 0.02% would draw a female wow. and the rest would draw a male person yeah. um I think it's changed now so looking at it now it's something like 20 percent would would um draw a female which is obviously a step in the right direction but I think it's questions like this and it's great that a company like this is trying to change that narrative and actually making people think um about their implicit biases um when it comes to yeah women working in STEM because it's not always the really obvious things like yeah. yes there are loads of men in STEM it's like every single one of us today, females and males, I think there is still an implicit bias on that mentality of STEM being a man's world. Yeah, absolutely. And how can we miss out Bumble? Um, Bumble's co-founder is the world's youngest self-made woman billionaire and feminism is baked into its very tech with women messaging first on the dating app. But I'll actually let Helen um, take this one because I think you're the expert. Um, well, of course, we've been spending a lot of this um, webinar talking about role models, how important they are. And here we have Whitney, who is the founder and CEO of Bumble, which is like a very female empowered tech product, essentially, as well. If you look at the world of dating, it has been has such strong um, gender stereotypes and roles. And she took that and flipped it entirely. And women lead, even if you're not into dating you have to admire the concept that women are taking the first step in the Bumble app. Um, so, of course, um, amongst policies such as unlimited paid time off, um, childcare, equal maternity and paternity leave. Um, for example, right now, I'm part of the first cohort of Bumble Tech Academy. And this leads on from what I was talking about earlier. When I was younger, I had the encouragement to enter the STEM industry, 
But I didn't make the decision because I was 16. I didn't feel like I could, not only because of the role models that I saw around me, but also financial barriers. It's a risk. You're taking a career. Are you going to make the money you need to exist in life? Are you going to be successful? Um, and Bumble Tech Academy offers us six months of training um, and it's paid and we have full support of the Bumble team. And it's to encourage, well, all women, trans and non-binary and uh, gender non-conforming folk as well um, to actually join the workforce, be visible in the workforce as well. And also um, gives us an opportunity to make a career transition where we were often, myself and the rest of my cohort, missed out when we were younger making our career choices, or we didn't grow up coding, or we didn't understand what that was at the time because it was for boys, not for girls, that sort of thing. So that is something that I think is one of the most powerful things that Bumble are currently doing right now to address um, the underrepresentation of women in tech. Amazing. Yeah, that's so inspiring. And I think, as you say, it's it's even putting women in the coding positions in Bumble and the fact we've got a female CEO is amazing. But also it's the, the fact it affects women's lives as well. This is what happens when you get women in these leadership positions. They they change the game. You've got uh, an app that I know so many people appreciate because it's completely revolutionized the dating world. As you say, it's sort of a, a really um, complicated world and a bit of a scary place for women sometimes because, you know, not all apps are as inclusive as that. So yeah, thank you so much for explaining that, Helen. And thank you everyone for joining us, Neona, Kira, Theo, Jackie, Claire, and Helen. It's been amazing to have you all on board. And yeah, your words have been inspiring and it's been a pleasure to unpick this complex conversation. And also thank you to the audience today for tuning in. It's been great to have you all here. Thank you so much for listening, but don't stop there. There is so much more coming from us. Remember to follow and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts on and tell your friends too. And while you're at it, why not check out Bulbshare a little more? You can find us on social media, on bulbshare.com or on email at info at Stay tuned for more podcasts packed full of insights. Thank you.